0: There's a sense in which if I would have to kind of summarize these three verses, uh, you know, verses 12 through 15, four verses, actually. What I would say uh, about these four verses is essentially this, is that the Apostle Peter is really functioning in his role as a pastor. In his role as a pastor, he is calling his congregation to bear to mind certain things that he has already made clear to them. Not only do we see in this passage of Scripture a repeated emphasis on the word remember, we also see in this passage of Scripture a repeated emphasis on what the King James says, these things, or what the ESV says, these qualities. Did you notice it as we were reading the passage? Over and over again, again, notice what Peter says here. Wherefore, I will not be negligent to put you always in remembrance of these things. He goes on to say again, as he comes down to verse 15, uh, Moreover, I will endeavor that, after my, that you may be able after my decease to have these things always in remembrance. So Peter is picking up again the theme of these things. And what that reminds us of is what he's spoken of already in verses 5 through 7 of this first chapter. You remember he says, if these things be in you in a me you will never be barren or unfruitful in the work of our Lord Jesus Christ. These things, what were these things? The things there were those graces that God gives through faith in Jesus Christ. The grace of faith, the grace of temperance, the grace of patience, the grace of long-suffering, the grace, again, that we see, the grace of godliness, the grace of love. And so again, Peter's not able to get away from these things, we might say. And he's bringing these things to our remembrance over and over again. And as I said before, in doing this, he is really fulfilling a pastoral function. But what I want to do as we work through this passage of Scripture today is I want to bring your attention to three points in this passage. Number one, I want you to see that Peter writes this from a sense of duty. He writes it from a sense of duty. We see this when he says, I will not be negligent. That idea of, ne- of not being negligent really conveys to us something of the duty and compulsion that he felt himself under by way of the calling that the Lord Jesus Christ had placed upon his life. And we'll take a look at that. So he writes from a sense of duty. There's also, we can say, that he writes from a sense of urgency. And we see this in his repeated reference to this tabernacle, this body that he's living in now. Peter is writing as an old man, as an older man, and as an older man, he realizes time is short, but the work must go on. And so there's not only a sense of duty that Peter writes with, there's a sense of urgency that Peter writes with. But the third thing I want you to see, and this will be the most important thing, is that Peter also writes with a sense of a desire to make Christ known. He writes with a sense that Christ might be known in these qualities that he has already referred to here. And what we're going to see, that this will be the emphasis that he repeats when he talks about these things over and over again. What I hope to show you to do is that these very things that he writes about are the things that mirror for us qualities in our Lord Jesus Christ. When Peter says, when Peter talks about your faith and add to your faith virtue, we're going to see and we're going to develop that, there are, that these are the very qualities that mark the life of our Lord Jesus Christ. You, might ask yourself, you, may, you may ask yourself the question, did Jesus have faith? And I would say to you, of course he did. And I would say to you that not only did he have faith, he had faith to such a degree that others saw his faith in him and he was mocked for his faith. I think I've made this point here in the past. There he was hanging on the cross. And what did his (coughs) enemies say about him? He trusted in God. Let's see if God will deliver him now. You see, Jesus Christ had faith. We talked about that little word virtue, meaning meaning moral courage. Oh, did any have moral courage like our Lord Jesus Christ? And so what I hope to show you in this third point is that these qualities, these graces that Peter mentions, have been mentioning all throughout this first chapter, are qualities that exhibit the character of Christ. And what we see here is very wonderful because here is Peter as a pastor and what is he doing? He's presenting Christ to his people. And what, can a, what, and what more can a pastor do than to present Christ to his people? What more can a pastor do than to remind the, his people over and over again that it is Christ that we seek, that it is Christ that we love, that it is Christ that we emulate? And so, again, in a very real way, Peter is writing as a true pastor, one who has been commissioned by Jesus Christ one who feels this sense of, of duty. One who understands the sense of urgency. And one who will repeatedly emphasize his great Savior and his glorious Lord. Let's take a look at each of these points now. And again, I, I, I direct your attention uh, again to verse 12 here. And Peter writes as follows. Wherefore, I will not be negligent to put you always in remembrance of these things, though you know them, and be established in the present truth. And what I want you to see here is Peter's sense of duty. He says this, I will not be negligent. To tell you of these things. Peter understands that his congregation knows these things. Peter knows that his his congregation in one sense would be able to say back to him, Peter, look, I understand. But Peter says, look, I'm not going to be negligent in this matter. You need to hear and hear again of the things that Jesus Christ has done for you. You need to be established in this present truth. And even though you are established in this present truth, I'm going to bring these things to you over and over again. Why? Because there is something in the nature of man that we forget even the best things that we think that we know. It's a sad thing. It's a strange thing, isn't it? That those things that we know most certainly, oftentimes we lose sight of in the time of difficulty. And after we come out of the time of difficulty, we say things to ourselves, why didn't I think of that? Why, did, why didn't I understand and why didn't I realize that, that God had these promises for me? Why did I act like an unbeliever when all along I've known that God was supporting me through these things? Mm-hmm. And so you see, there is a sense in which Peter is taking up this duty pastorally to remind his people. He's not ashamed of it. He says, listen, I'm, going to, I'm not going to be negligent in this. I don't know if Peter would say it this way, but maybe we can say this. You may say many things against me, but one thing you won't say against me is that, is that I was negligent in reminding you of these things. And so Peter again says this by way of a sense of duty. Well, this duty that Peter would have, again, would, would certainly come by way of his commission that the Lord Jesus Christ gave him. And we, we would have to go back to, to John chapter 21 to see this. You don't have to turn there, but you remember the passage of Scripture. There was, there was Peter after his denial of the Lord Jesus Christ. What a heartbreaking thing that must have been for Peter. What a disappointment it must have been for Peter. You remember the one passage of scripture there. I believe it's in the Gospel of Luke. When Peter is in the very midst of denying the Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord Jesus Christ turns and makes eye contact with Peter. Oh, what that must have been. What that must have been for Peter. Peter must have been truly and genuinely crushed. But when our Lord Jesus Christ rises from the dead, what does, what does he say? What does he say to the woman? He says, Go and tell Peter that I am risen from the dead. Go and tell, go and tell my go and tell my disciples and Peter. Make sure you tell Peter. Get a hold of Peter. Seek him out if you have to, and tell him, I'm risen from the dead. You see, the Lord Jesus Christ is the great shepherd of the sheep, seeking the one that's lost. Oh, you see, Peter understands this duty. He knows that this one whom he loves and the one that loves him. He must serve. And so Peter writes, as I said before, from a sense of duty. And again, if we would go to John 21, verses 16 and 17, you know the passage, but there's our Lord Jesus Christ interrogating Peter. Why is he interrogating Peter? He's drawing out of Peter that which Jesus knows is in in Peter. He wants Peter to hear the words come out of his own mouth that Peter says, yes, Lord, I love you. Jesus wants Peter to hear that. And I think there are times in your life when Jesus is putting you through circumstances and bringing you through providential circumstances in life where he wants you to hear, Lord, you know I love you, but please help me in this situation. Lord, you know I love you, but you know how difficult it is now. Lord, you know I love you, but you know, but, but you know how, how, how things just seem to be falling apart. You see, I'm convinced that Jesus wants you to hear that you love him. He knows of your love for him. But, Peter, but our Lord Jesus Christ interrogates Peter and he says, He saith unto him the second time, son, Simon, son, son of Jonas, lovest thou me? And he saith unto him, Yea, Lord, thou knowest I love thee. And Jesus said unto him, Feed my sheep. You see, here's the commission. Verse 17, He saith unto him the third time, Simon, son of Jonas, lovest thou me? And Peter was grieved because he said unto him the third time, lovest thou me? And he said unto him, Lord, thou knowest all things, thou knowest that I love thee. Oh, Peter, Peter is confirming it now. You think that Peter would ever be able to deny that he loved the Lord Jesus Christ? Have you ever wondered sometimes, do I really love Christ the way I should? Do I really love Him the way I should? I think the Lord Jesus Christ was was bringing Peter to this point. When Peter looked back, he'd have to say, "This, yes, Lord. If I don't, if if, if there's one thing I know, I know that I love the Lord Jesus, and I'm, I'm convinced that this is what our Lord was doing. And you know, what does our Lord say? He says this." He says, feed my sheep. Jesus saith unto him, feed my sheep. And what I want you to see then is that Peter would have a sense of duty when he's performing the function of a pastor. When he says, I will not be negligent in telling you these things. And so it was, we can put it this way, it was a dutiful call. He was called by way of duty to this work of of pastoring the flock. But I also think that it was something of a gracious call as well. Because here is our Lord Jesus Christ, as I said before, seeking out Peter. Here is our Lord Jesus Christ making overtures of Peter. Here is our Lord Jesus Christ drawing out from Peter that love. And there is a great element of grace here. And I want you to see that in your own life as well. That when, when God calls you, when the Lord Jesus Christ calls you to a task, yes, again, he may impress upon you a great sense of duty and burden. I hope and I pray that And your service for Jesus Christ, and in your consideration of what God is calling you to in life, that you do not shy away from the concept of duty before God. But can I ask you to blend it with the idea of the graciousness of the call that God gives to you to serve Him? Can I ask you to remember that the call that God has given to you is a call that went out to you while you were a sinner? Can I remind you that the call that God still has upon your life to serve Him is a call that comes to you even after all of your repeated and my repeated disobedient acts? Can I remind you again and again that whatever there is by way of duty in the Christian life, it is flavored and it is sprinkled and it is tempered with grace? And so when God calls the man or woman to stand for Him, by way of duty we might say, Oh, there's much of grace in there as well. And so here is Peter understanding this this dutiful call that he has. But it's a gracious call. And I think this really combined together to make Peter love the work that he was called to. Not love the work that he was called to in the sense that I love this work, although I think Peter did. But to love it in the sense that I love this people that God has called me to. So Peter says, therefore, I will not be negligent to tell you these things. I will not leave off preaching to you the word of God, he says. He says, I will, make sure, I, will, I will take every step to make sure that not only you hear the word of God now, but in the future you'll be able to hear the word of God. And again, this is what Peter was saying. This word, idea, excuse me, this word or this idea of, uh, of negligent, I will not be negligent. We find this a couple of times uh, in the scripture, this word uh, negligent. And what does it mean? Well, first of all, let me say this. I, I, I want to bring this out to you because I think there's a tendency in the Christian life to become negligent about our spiritual well-being. You see, again, Peter is writing from the perspective of a, of a pastor, and he is saying in his role as a pastor, he will not be negligent to, to do the things that he's laid out here. But you know, in the, in the Christian life, the Christian can become negligent uh, concerning, his or her, her, concerning his or her soul. You know, as Christians, we can become negligent in those things that God has called us to and demanded of us, we might say. And again, the the Christian life is a life of grace. We know that. We understand that. But you know God wants to see you every day in fellowship with Him in prayer. Sometimes we get negligent, don't we? You know every day God wants to commune with you through His Word, and we get negligent, don't we? You know that there are things that God has gifted you for and enabled you to do, but we get negligent in these things, don't we? And so again, this idea of negligence is a a great uh, 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 hindrance in the life of the Christian many times. And that's why I want to focus on this word. And the word uh, the word negligent here ca- carries with it what we might say uh, the idea of um, the idea of uh, uh, leaving something off as is, is unimportant. Uh, in Matthew twenty two verse five, we, we, uh, this word is used uh, in, uh, in the following passage. Uh, we read the following: But they made, they were they were invited to the wedding feast, but they made light of it and went their ways. One to his farm, and another to his merchandise. Here was the call of the gospel to sinners. Actually, or, or actually, I'm sorry. Here was the call of men and women to come to, the, to, the, to this marriage feast. And rather than taking it up with seriousness, what did they do? They made light of it. No big deal. No big deal. No, 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 no big deal to go to this, uh, to this wedding. And there's sometimes when we offer the, the gospel to sinners and, and they treat it like no big deal. Like, I know God loves me. Not a big deal. You see, making light of neglecting these things. We see this in other places as well. This word, what it means. Paul writes to Timothy. He says this. He says, "Neglect not the gift that is in thee, which was given thee by prophecy with the laying on of hands." But I think the most, um, the most pastorally important use of this word is, is found in Hebrews chapter two, verse three, where we read the following. The writer of Hebrew writes, and he says, "How shall we escape if we neglect so great salvation?" which at first began to be spoken by the Lord and was confirmed unto us by them that heard him. How shall we escape if we neglect so great salvation? Well, my brothers and sisters, we see here the apostle Peter saying, look, I'm not going to be negligent in this thing. But as as, as your pastor, I have to ask you this question. Are you being negligent in regard to the things of your salvation? Let us not be negligent. Let us not treat the call of Jesus Christ to eternal life as some light thing. You've been invited to a great wedding feast. You've been invited to a great banquet. You've been invited to an eternity of glory. Will you treat it lightly? I hope not. I pray not. And Peter says again, I will not be negligent. One more thing before we move off of this first point of this duty. When we see Peter insisting that he will not be negligent, It reminds us of something that we do need to make note of. And it's this. Peter is showing himself to be not a negligent minister. But sadly, in the history of the church of Jesus Christ and in the history of the work of God among humanity, there have been negligent ministers. And you have to understand that a negligent minister is a blight to the church of Jesus Christ. You have to understand that a negligent minister is is a harm to your soul. And you have to understand that in no uncertain terms, God calls out and speaks against negligent ministers. Listen to this passage of scripture taken from Isaiah 56, verses 10 through 12. God is complaining against his prophets, against those who 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 have the uh, the oversight of the souls of his uh, of the of his people and he says this his watchmen are blind they are all ignorant they are dumb dogs they cannot bark sleeping lying down loving the slumber yea they are greedy dogs which never have enough and they are shepherds that cannot understand they look to their own way everyone for his own gain from his own quarter come ye say they i will fetch wine and we will fill ourselves with strong drink tomorrow shall be as today and much more abundant. And what I and what God is saying through the prophet Isaiah is essentially this. Where are your watchmen? Where are those who watch over your soul? There they are there to be alert and the reference to a dumb dog that cannot bark the idea is this, the dog is there to bark to make noise when the intruder comes in. I've said this in other settings and I can't tell you how much I hate when, and I've had this happen and this may, be a, this may not be something that you want to hear from your pastor. <laughs> Let me just preface these things. There have been times when I've been in situations where I know that something needed to be said but I've just not had the words to say it. I never liked that. Not because I always wanted to be talking but because there are times when the truth needs to be spoken to the situation. And I think in a very real way. When a man of God cannot speak the truth of God to a situation, oh, it's a sad, sad thing. But may that never happen by way of purposeful design. May that never happen because a minister says, I will eat and drink and take my leave. May it never happen because the minister looks to the people of God not as a flock to be cared for, but as sheep to be fleeced. In this passage of Scripture, we're in one sense seeing almost a direct contrast to what's going to be picked up in uh, in the second chapter here when he goes in to talk about false teachers. The false teachers, they see you not as the flock of Jesus Christ to be cared for, but as a flock to be fleeced. You're there for their benefit. Negligent ministers are a blight on the church of Jesus Christ. Mm -hmm. And now can I ask you this? The application is very straightforward and simple, isn't it? Oh, how you need to be praying for your pastor. Do you understand how you need to be praying for your minister, how you need to be praying that there will be something of Peter in this man right here that says, I will not be negligent to tell you of these things, even though you know them. May God give you grace and may God give me grace in this regard. So Peter writes again from a sense of duty, but Peter also writes from a sense of urgency. And again, we see this as we, as we go on here in verses uh, 13 and 14. Yea, I think it meet as long as I am in this tabernacle to stir you up by putting you in remembrance, knowing that shortly I must put off this my tabernacle, even as our Lord Jesus Christ has showed me. Well, again, we see something here of the, of the sense of urgency. And most all the commentators you know, make the mention that Peter is writing here as an old man. Nobody knows how old he is, but everybody knows he's an old man that's writing here. And that kind of gives something of an urgency to what Peter is saying. Something wonderful about that It really is a man or a woman, a Christian man or a woman who knows his time on this earth is short and is and, and is insistent on making his, his or her remaining days count for the glory of God. It's a wonderful way to approach old life. It really is. It's a wonderful way to, to, to go to your grave, we might say. It's a wonderful thing to, 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 to leave this world going full bore for Christ. You know, we see passages of Scripture uh, that remind us of this. Let me just uh, catch up here for a minute. Uh, we see passages of, uh, of Scripture uh, that remind us of this. Psalm 92, verses 12 through 15. The righteous flourish like a palm tree and grow like a cedar in Lebanon. They are planted in the house of the Lord. They flourish in the courts of our God. They still bear fruit in old age. And they are ever full of sap and green to declare that the Lord is upright. You see, this is what they're doing. These blessed, (laughs) these blessed gray-headed saints. And what are they doing? They're declaring the righteousness of the Lord. No holding them back. No slowing down. Whatever they have left in the tank it's being all spent for the glory of God. Oh, to live life being spent for Jesus Christ. Mm-hmm. You see again, Psalm 71, verse 18. Now also when I am old and gray, O God, forsake me not until I have showed thy strength unto this generation and Thy power to everyone that has come. You see, in one sense we would say this. this is our, these are our parental duties, are they not? And our, and, our, and our duties as grandparents. Here we are with our gray hair. And what are we to do? We're to declare God's faithfulness to this coming generation. Oh, young ones, you need to know and understand. Can I point you out, Vivian? Can I point there? You got Nick and, and Anthony. Can I point out to you? You need to know of God's faithfulness and of God's love. You see, that's our duty before God. And so again, Peter has this sense of urgency. But I think the sense of urgency is not only because of his age. I think his sense of urgency is more so because of he knows that the Lord Jesus Christ spoke to him very specifically and said to him, Peter, listen, when you're an old man, You know, when you were young, you went wherever you went, wherever you wanted to go, and however you wanted to go. But when you're old, they're going to bind your hands together. And basically, he says, you're going to be put to death. Peter knew that he would have the grace of martyrdom. He didn't know when it would happen, but he knew that it would come. And therefore, Peter thought within himself, every day I have, I'm going to make account for the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, My my Christian friends, we don't know if any of us are appointed to the grace of martyrdom, but we know our last day is coming. Why should we approach our life any less with any less vigor for Christ than what Peter did? Let us approach it with zeal. Let us be busy for the glory of our God and our Savior. Again, Peter uses kind of an interesting designation here when he talks about himself. He says uh, twice, he says this, I think it meet as long as I am in this tabernacle. Verse 14, knowing that shortly I must put off my tabernacle. Uh, Peter, uh, excuse me, Paul uses the word tent or tabernacle as well. I believe it's in 2 Corinthians chapter uh, 5, verse 2. And there are a couple of ideas that are, that are represented there. Uh, the, the idea of a tabernacle is, is always that of a temporary dwelling. It, it's something of a, not so much of a, of, of a weakness, but more of temporariness and transitoriness. And being, being transitory. Forgive me for not how I'm knowing to use the right word there, um, of being uh, transitory. And the idea is, that, is this, is that while you're in the tent, you're always looking for the, the, the abiding home. I remember I was uh, doing a, uh, a job for someone. Mike, you may have had a similar situation to this, where uh, somebody was having a house built, and, they, and what they did is they purchased a, a 30-foot trailer. And in that 30-foot trailer, they lived there until the house was built and everything was done. And they were there six, seven, eight months, maybe even as much as a year it may have been. But it was just temporary. It wasn't designed to be that which they lived in permanently. There was a house that was being built for them. And Peter looked at this body of his and he says, look, this is just a temporary tabernacle. You see, there is a a place being built for me. And Peter says there's coming a day when this old tent will be put off. But until that day comes, I will not be negligent. Well, my brothers and sisters, you know where I'm going with this. These, these bodies of ours are temporary. To the glory of Jesus Christ, they will be raised one day. They will be raised incorruptible. There is a transformation that's going to take place in our resurrected bodies. But right now, again, these bodies are just our temporary homes. And in these temporary homes, let us make sure that we serve the Lord Jesus Christ in the way that he's called us to serve him. So again, as I said before, Peter writes with a sense of duty. Peter writes with a sense of urgency. And what Peter does with this sense of urgency is that the sense of urgency isn't just general, we might say. The sense of urgency is specific. Notice what he says here in verse uh, 15. He says, Moreover, I will endeavor that ye may be able, after my decease, to have these things always in remembrance. Here is the specifics of the urgency that Peter writes with. He says, I will endeavor that after my decease, again, this is the whole thing of the tabernacle, after my decease, that you may be able to always have these things in remembrance. What's Peter referring to here? Well, first of all, I want to address the way in which Peter is, is, is going about this duty. When he says, I will endeavor, Peter is taking up a word that he's already used twice in this epistle, and that's that word diligent, when he says to his readers to be diligent to make their calling and election sure. To give diligence that those things that he was talking about were in them. So Peter, in a very wonderful way, is we would put it like this. Peter is practicing what he's preaching. Peter was calling the church to diligence. Peter was being diligent. And what he was being diligent in is essentially this. He was making sure that the coming generations would have that which was needful for their spiritual well-being. And so what he does is he pens these epistles. I know that you've heard me say this before because I said it in another context. I think it was when we were looking at our doctrine of scripture, when I was laying out some of the foundational uh, principles that, 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 that I would kind of identify by uh, way of emphasis in my ministry. Uh, the first uh, sermon that we gave along those lines was on the, was on the doctrine of inspiration from 2 te- second, second Timothy uh, 3, 16 and 17. And one of the things that I said there is that I, f- I always find this passage of Scripture very interesting is that when Peter is concerned for the future well-being of this congregation, what he doesn't do is he doesn't establish an ongoing papacy. He doesn't establish an ongoing apostolic office. He will have ordained elders. There will be pastors. But by way of this concept of an abiding papacy, you don't see it. But what Peter does do for the well-being of the congregation is this. He writes scripture. And scripture becomes for us that which guides the church. Scripture becomes for us that which is the basis of all we say. Scripture becomes for us the authoritative voice of God in the church of Jesus Christ. And so Peter says, I will not be negligent to write these things in order that you might have them for for your remembrance. What's also interesting though here is this, is that many of the commentators believe that not only is Peter referring to these epistles that he's writing, some commentators, and I stress that some because little less uh, u- unanimity among the uh, commentators on this point. But some commentators believe that, that Peter was also referring to the writing of the gospel of Mark. Now many, uh, many understand that Mark's gospel was really Peter's account that was taken down by Mark. We have writings in church history that make this kind of a reference. And so what some believe is that when Peter talks about, I'll do what is necessary for you to have these things in your remembrance, he is speaking about the gospel of Mark that is yet to be written. Kind of an interesting, uh, interesting thought there. But, it ain't, but again, it all comes back to, 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 to the primacy of Scripture. And the Scripture becomes, again, as I said before, that guiding light for the church to walk by under the, under the, uh, the ministry uh, of the Spirit of God. So again, Peter talking about this idea of, of, of making sure the congregation, his, his people, have these things in remembrance. And this brings us to, to other ideas about writing for the scripture, which, which we should not overlook. This, the scripture being written is, is vital. It's not by mistake that we have a written record of the, uh, of, the, of the actions and the activity and the work of Jesus Christ. It's not by mistake that we have a written record uh, that goes from Genesis to Revelation. And the reason why is because writing in the, in, by way of the design of God is very, very uh, central to his whole conveyance of Revelation. Listen to these passages of Scripture. Exodus 17, verse 14. And the Lord said unto Moses, Write this for a memorial in a book and rehearse it in the ears of Joshua. Now, don't get me wrong. Much by way of oral tradition we understand was part and parcel of, of ancient Jewish culture. Much by way of oral tradition would even have a, have a place within the history of the Christian church. But there is a sense in which that, was, that which is written becomes primary. Write these things in a book. Why? So that Joshua might be able to rehearse them all the days of his life. You see, there's a permanency to this record. We have other passages of Scripture. Again, Deuteronomy uh, seventeen, eighteen, And again, I, I preach from this passage of Scripture. I'm almost positive uh, here. Here. Deuteronomy 17, 18, and it was and the title of the sermon was a royal approach to the word of God. And you might remember that one of the things that the Old Testament kings were supposed to do is that they were supposed to write a copy of the the book of the law. Deuteronomy 17, 18, and it shall be when he sitteth upon the throne of his kingdom that he shall write him a copy of this law in a book. And so, again, the idea was was, uh, given for permanency to be able to read it and reread it. You know, it's very interesting Now, one of the things we have to understand about the Scripture is that the Scripture is never designed by God to be read one time and set aside. It's not. The Scripture is designed to be read over and over and over and over and over and over and over over again. (laughs) I hate to say it this way. It's not impressive if you would say to me, I read the Bible ten times. I mean, I'm glad you've read the Bible ten times. That's not enough. You need to be writing and reading the Bible to the end of your days. That's the way God has designed it. Other passages of Scripture... Isaiah 30, verse 8. Now go write. Now go write it before them in a the table and note it in the book. Now listen to this. That it may be for the time to come forever and ever. Why does God command that things be written down? That it may be for the time forever and ever. Jeremiah 30, verse 2. Thus speaketh the Lord God of Israel, saying, Write all these words that I have thus spoken to thee in a book. Habakkuk chapter 2, verse 2. From the King James, this may leave you with a little bit of a question but I'll explain the passage here in a minute Habakkuk chapter 2 verse 2 and the Lord answered me and said write the vision and make it plain upon tables that he may run that readeth it what does that mean what God is saying through Habakkuk is write this write these words so large and so clear that even if a man is running down the street he'll be able to see it in other words placard it on a billboard so to speak and so again this writing when the Lord Jesus Christ wants to speak to the churches what does he do To the angel of the church at at Thyatira, write these things. To the angel of the church at Smyrna, write. Over and over again, Jesus is writing, commanding that the the churches uh, uh, have this written record of what he was saying. And so what Peter is doing then, as I said before, he is making sure that the church will have all these things in their remembrance. How? By way of a written record. And how we thank God for our Bibles, do we not? Can I say it that way? How we thank God for our Bibles. How we thank God for the book that God has given to us. But not just the book that God has given to us, but but your Bible. Is your Bible precious to you? Is your Bible near and dear to you? House is on fire. What are you going to grab? Hey, grab that Bible. (laughs) There'll be other things you want to grab as well, but let the word of God be precious to you. Let the word of God be sweet to you. And so again, we thank God for this, for, for his word. So Peter writes with a sense of duty. Peter writes with a sense of urgency. But Peter also writes with a repeated and a particular emphasis. And this is what I want you to see with the the, uh, the, the the repeated expression of these things. Now it's interesting. We we've we've almost read this first chapter in such a way as, as that although we we have made mention of it, but we could have read this first pass uh, chapter without really paying attention to that little phrase, these things. But but look 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 at look we see that look where we see, the, where we see uh, this phrase. Uh, Verse four, whereby are given unto us exceeding great and precious promise that by these or by these things, look here in in, in verse eight, for if these things be in you and abound, look at verse nine, but he that lacketh these things is blind. Look at verse 10, wherefore, brethren, uh, give diligence to make your calling and election sure, for if you do these things, you will never fall. Again, verse 12, these things. Look at verse 15, again, these things. You can go down to, 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 to the end of the book, at uh, chapter 3, verse 16. And, and Peter is still talking about these things. He's talking about the, the, the things that, Peter, that Paul has written. But he, even again in verse 17, beloved, seeing you know these things. And again, these things are very important. And what I would say to you is this, is that Peter is writing with a repeated emphasis. That's the point that he's doing. In one sense, he's, he's not really expanding out too far. But we're going to see that as we go through the epistle, there's a lot of depth here. But he's repeating again these things. Now, why is he repeating these things? I'm convinced that he is repeating these things because, as I said in my introduction, I really believe that these things that he is referring to have reference to what he said in verses 5 through 7. Add to your faith virtue, to your virtue knowledge, to your knowledge patience, to your patience uh, brotherly kindness, me, uh, 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 to your godliness, to your godliness brotherly kindness, to your brotherly kindness a charity, our love, and, and I'm convinced that in these graces, He is setting before us, if I can put it this way, piece by piece, a picture of our Lord Jesus Christ. These, these qualities, as the ESV says, they all reflect something of the splendor of Christ. Now, again, I said before, let's start with the first one faith. Add to your faith. Sometimes it's, it's, it's a, sometimes it's an odd notion to think that Jesus had faith because we think, well, he knew all things. You know, and again, faith is the substance of things hoped for. Again, the evidence of things not seen. Faith is, is embracing a promise of God. Well, Jesus had faith. And again, I think the clearest example of that is when he was on the cross and he was being mocked because he trusted God. Don't be surprised when you get mocked for your faith. Don't be surprised when people make fun of you because of your faith. Don't be surprised when people take your own faith and throw it right in your face. That's what they were doing. He <laughs> trusted in God. Oh, all this, all this talk about God is your Father. All this talk about that, that God is with you. You see, and again, if you if you read the, next time you read the accounts of the crucifixion of our Lord Jesus Christ, notice how many times taunting and mocking is hurled at Jesus Christ. From a human perspective. Tough enough, the suffering that he went through. But to be demeaned and to be made fun of and to be treated no more than like the day's entertainment. One of these days, I'm sure, we'll be preaching a sermon on the personalities that surround the cross. It's an interesting way to look at the cross. We see all kinds of personalities around the cross. I'm sure there on that day that there were people walking through Jerusalem and just thought, well, somebody's getting, some criminal's getting hung and, and I got to go wherever I'm going. Probably didn't mean anything to them. There were, there, was the, there, there, there were the Roman soldiers. And what was Jesus hanging on the cross to them? As I said before, he was the, he was the day's entertainment. Oh, hell, king of the Jews. Oh, smack, who smote thee? He was, he was their entertainment. The centurion, oh, he saw something, didn't he? The disciples around the cross, oh, what did they see? And so again, these personalities surrounding the cross, you see again, this idea Jesus died in faith. But not only faith, add to your faith virtue. And we said that that this idea of virtue is moral courage. Listen to the moral courage of our Lord Jesus Christ when he he confronts the religious leaders of his day. Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! Yes, moral courage. You see our Lord Jesus Christ having these things that Peter is setting before us. Other things that we see our Lord Jesus Christ. Every one of these things. Every one of these things we see in our dear Savior, in our blessed Savior. Knowledge. John 10, 15, as the Father knoweth me, even so I know the Father. You see, here was the the very unique knowledge that Jesus Christ had and gave to his people. Temperance. How do we see the temperance of our Lord Jesus Christ? Well, there's a number of ways in which we can see, but I want to draw you back to an old testament passage of Scripture. Temperance, control. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. Mm-hmm. He has brought as a lamb to the slaughter, as a sheep before he shears is dumb, so he opened not his mouth. You see, our Lord was temperate. He was dealing with that situation in such a way as not to break out of it so so to speak. But he endured that which was there. Very closely related, patience. I was thinking, how can I, how can I illustrate patience for the people of God here this morning that our Lord Jesus Christ uh, that our Lord Jesus Christ exhibited? Well, there are a number of ways in which we can see it. We can see his patience with his disciples. There they were, slow to believe all that the prophet had spoken. There they were and, and, and not able to perceive the things that were going on. I was reading in John, in John chapter um, uh, 12 uh, this, this past week. Our Lord Jesus Christ is coming in with his triumphal entry into Jerusalem. And the people of God, or, excuse me, I'm, I'm sorry, and, and the crowds there are singing hosannas to his name and fulfillment of scripture. The Lord Jesus Christ is purposely setting himself on a donkey fulfilling scripture. And the scripture says, and the disciples understood not, they had no clue, but our Lord was patient with them. But I think even a greater picture of patience is is found in the the book of Revelation. And we see it this. uh, Revelation, um, um, excuse me here for a minute. uh, uh, Revelation uh, chapter 2, verses 20 and 21. He says this, notwithstanding, I have a few things against thee. Because thou sufferest that woman Jezebel who calls herself a prophetess to teach and to seduce my servants to commit fornication and to eat things sacrificed on the idols. Listen to what he says. I gave her space to repent of her fornication and she repented not. Look at the patience of our Lord Jesus Christ. I gave her space to repent. What I'm saying to you is this. Is that Jesus Christ exhibits patience to each and every one of us. When there we were in our sin and he waited for us to come to him. There we were in our sin. And our Lord Jesus Christ was patiently waiting for us to come. And wherever you're at right now, I'm telling you, Jesus Christ is being patient with you. But understand, the day of patience will one day come to an end. The day of grace will one day come to an end. But in this day, it's the day of grace and the day of patience. Oh, will you come to the Savior? You see our precious Lord showing patience, godliness. Was Was there ever a more godly man than Jesus of Nazareth? He's able to say in the presence of his enemies, which one of you convinces me of sin? And then brotherly kindness. I had a hard time finding a passage for this, I have to admit, because most of the time that the Lord Jesus speaks about his love, it's not in the, in the Greek word phileo, brotherly kindness, it's in the word agape, this, this undeserved love, this, this unconditioned love. But I think we can see a passage of scripture that reminds us of this this goodness of our Lord Jesus Christ to his fellow man. Acts chapter 10, verse 38. Peter is preaching the gospel. And what does he say? He's talking about Jesus Christ and he describes him this way. He went about doing good and healing all that were oppressed by the devil. That's our Lord. He went about doing good. You see, Pete, you can do this as well. This is what our Lord did. This is what Jesus did. And then again, the last thing that we see here and add to your brotherly kindness, charity, love. I think of that passage in John 13. Now therefore, before the feast of Passover, when Jesus saw that his hour was come, he should depart out of this world unto the Father. And I love this little phrase, having loved his own which are in the world, he loved them unto the end. That's no different for you, brothers and sisters. He loves you unto the end. He loves you unto the uttermost. Do you understand why Peter says, look, I'm not going to tire of telling you all this stuff. I'm not going to be tired of reminding you over and over again that these things, which are brush strokes of the person of our Savior, Jesus Christ, I have no image of Jesus Christ to give you. I have no picture of Jesus Christ to give you other than these qualities that are on the pages of Scripture. If you want to know what Jesus Christ looks like, look at these things. And you pray that this preacher will not be negligent in telling you about these things over and over again. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for the Lord Jesus Christ. And we thank you for his presentation here on the pages of Scripture. We ask and we pray, Lord God, that you would give us grace. Number one, never to be impatient with those who will remind us over and over again of the things that we already know. But that we would patiently, Lord, patiently hear your word being set before us. Number two, Father, I would ask this. I would ask that this congregation, Lord, would always expect of their pastor this diligence and that they would, Father, if need be, bring to my mind negligence should it be found in my ministry. But thirdly, Father, what I ask and I pray is this, is that every time we open up the word of God, we might see Jesus Christ. Grant these things to us, Father, we pray.